welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Since last Sunday's challenging passage, um, we have all put away our American idols, right? Put them aside, uh, but in Acts chapter 14, uh, most of the Greeks in Lystra have not. Uh, They've decided that they would prefer to keep their gods uh, like Zeus and Apollos and Dionysus and Aphrodite and, and, and serve them instead. Uh, you might ask, well, who are Dionysus and Aphrodite? You know, they were kind of like the bikini, uh, bikini models on Instagram of their day. They were. Pretty much any statue that you find of them, they're lacking a certain amount of clothing. And uh, yeah, they, they were popular in their day. And, and men of Lystra told Paul and Barnabas, you know, you're crazy. If you think we're going to exchange all of our options, all of this, uh, the many options we enjoy to worship just one God, even God whom you say, Paul, uh, made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, you know, when you think about it, that that is quite a universal and exclusive claim made by Paul and Barnabas. Uh, We worship the one true and living God who created everything, where do Zeus and Hermes fall into everything? Paul's claims uh, leave no room in Lystra for other gods. Uh, So Paul doesn't exactly have a, a coexist bumper sticker on the rear of his Subaru when he's pulling into town. Still, Lystra's response to the gospel remains, we already have our other gods. Dionysus and Aphrodite, uh, they, they uh, make few demands on us. They're, they're not very restrictive at all to our behavior. Uh, our gods are permissive. They allow us to pretty much act out any way on the internet that we like. So so Lystra's reaction to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ is this. We're going to keep all of our options on the table. Thank you very much. Uh, We don't like what you insinuate about our gods, that they're they're vain and empty, uh, or what you've said about the way we worship. You know, the tone of voice that you used while tearing your clothes and crying out, we don't like that either. And before Paul and Barnabas even had an opportunity to explain further, uh, Jews from the previous two cities, uh, Antioch and Iconium, uh, they roll into town. Boy, they must have been hot on the trail of Paul and Barnabas uh, to get in there this quickly uh, because they immediately begin piling on. Uh, they're probably saying something like, uh, <laughs> these Two guys, they tried to turn our town upside down too. And we don't like what they are doing ourselves. So the Jews refused to turn to Jesus from serving the law. And they team up with the Gentiles who refused to 
turn to Jesus from serving their idols. And someplace in Scripture, I, I believe I heard Paul saying, we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You can find that reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. And as we now return to Acts chapter 14, you know, a, a couple of people were probably saved in Lystra. I would imagine uh, we got one for sure with the, with the lame guy who was, who was healed last week. Uh, but Lystra quickly turns violent for Paul. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 19. Luke writes, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around after him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas and, uh, to Derbe. Uh, after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples... They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom had believed. So... Progressing from town to town, Paul and Barnabas, they're having a bit of a rough time. The Jews in Antioch, they they instigate a great persecution, Acts 13, verse 50. Both Jews and Gentiles in Iconium plot to have them stoned, that's Acts 14, verse 5. And now they successfully carry out that initiative in Lystra. And uh, next they carry Paul out. Actually, they drag him out of the city, as you might uh, a sack of potatoes. That, that couldn't have been good for Paul's complexion. Fortunately, he's, uh, he's unconscious. And disposing of his body, they, they presume Paul to be dead. He must have been in a truly awful condition. One of our problems is how this scene is near impossible for us Americans to fathom. Persecution unto death for the crime of imploring people to turn to God and away from idols. Yet in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul states that throughout the course of his ministry, he, he had been beaten so many times that it is without number. Countless times it's described. Uh, he also received 39 lashes five times. Beaten with rods three times. Shipwrecked three times. He continues by saying, quote, I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, 
Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. But he's only stoned once. That is what we have just seen in Lystra, the one time that Paul uh, was stoned. Uh, Boy, these are persecutions to a degree uh, that we, uh, in all likelihood, will never have to face. Praise God for that. Yet Paul still assures all churches, in verse 22, uh, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So tribulation isn't uh, an experience limited to just a handful of apostles. Tribulation is the experience that is common to Christians. Likewise, the Apostle John, he was writing to seven different churches during our scripture reading earlier from Revelation chapter 1, when he assured them how he, uh, as their Christian brother, he describes himself, I I your brother, how he had become a, uh, quote, fellow partaker in the tribulation and, and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus. He, he was exiled on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So, so John became an outlaw. He, he was a prisoner now uh, on a remote island, uh, a penal island, uh, because he was preaching Christ and the word of God. And, uh, and by employing that Greek term that we, that we normally translate fellow partaker, The Apostle John is assuring his readers that we're in this together. We're in this together. King James Version uses the word companion in tribulation. We are companions together. Christ himself uses almost identical language in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29, where during the Olivet Discourse, our Lord states, quote, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory." So, clearly, Jesus does not describe his second coming as uh, some kind of secret appearance. Rather, he says, all of the tribes of the earth will mourn. John's account in Revelation adds, quote, And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. That's implying the resurrection will occur at that point. Resurrection to judgment. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it's only going, it's only following this universal appearing of the Son of Man in the clouds that Jesus, in Matthew 24, verse 31, himself describes the rapture of the elect by saying, quote, he will send forth his angels 
with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. I'll take a moment a little later to show how three references to God's word concerning a great tribulation of how God's elect in each of those cases is described as being present on earth. But that would be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Uh, For now, just recognize that according to Jesus and according to John, we are in, we are fellow partakers, we are companions in the tribulation. The church age is an age of tribulation. And therefore, Paul found it prudent to prepare these churches in Galatia through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. These are just a couple of numerous reasons from Scripture that I believe, and I'm confident most here probably agree, in a post-tribulation rapture. That is, Christ will send His angels to gather together his elect after what is described as the tribulation. And the theological position called a post-tribulation rapture believes that the church already has and will continue to endure tribulation until the day of the Lord. That is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, a day uh, that Christ Jesus will return and his angels, uh, with his angels, to rapture his beloved bride uh, moments before pouring out his bowls of wrath. Revelation chapter 16, upon all that is left behind. uh, Thus establishing a universal dominion across all the earth. The apostle John says, we are fellow partakers in the tribulation. And the Apostle Paul assures through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. But the extent or or severity of the tribulation, the severity of tribulation Christians will face, that will vary across the earth. In some places, tribulation will become very great. In Nigeria, for example, if you watch the news a little bit, it's reported at Christmas over 100 Christians were massacred for sport. This occurred in a country, just one of many countries, but in a country where persecution has brought more than 52,000 Christians to their death since 2009. You know, it would be impossible to preach in certain churches around the globe that Christians will never have to endure tribulation. Even tribulation to death. Um, you, You might be interested to learn that the Greek word for tribulation is thalipsis. It occurs 45 times uh, in the New Testament. In some places, it is translated in the English as simply affliction or distress. But it remains the identical word in the Greek, philipsis, tribulation. And in approximately 
40 of those 45 times, Philipsis or tribulation describes, get this, in approximately 40 of those 45 times, Philipsis or tribulation describes the experience of Christians during this age, the church age. Scripture assures Christians will suffer tribulation. Yet it's not because God is angry with us, but rather he loves us very deeply like a father and he continually shows us his love unconditionally, uh, we who belong to him in Christ Jesus. Uh, If you're a believer in Jesus through faith, uh, God is not angry with you. Nor will you ever have to face the penalty of his wrath. You won't have to endure the penalty of his wrath uh, for your sins because on the cross, Jesus Christ endured the penalty of God's wrath, the full weight of God's wrath against all sins for those who will believe in him. Friends, God's wrath is not the same as tribulation. You won't find that in the Bible that they are the same thing. Rather, tribulation is a consequence of our surrounding world being angry with us as we remain faithful ambassadors for Christ. When we evangelize, we're learning how to do that right now, become a more effective uh, at it. When we evangelize, you know, it is uh, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. This is our appeal today as a church, if you're visiting today. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. Like the apostle Paul has in Antioch, in Iconium, Lystra and Derby, uh, we tell people there is a way, but only one way. While the sinful heart of each man and every woman naturally wants to live their own way. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 uh, reveals how the, the unregenerated heart, the, the natural man, the unsaved man, can't naturally accept the things that we're sharing with him. He, he can't, the, the spiritually depraved man cannot accept the spiritual claims of Christ. Our gospel is called foolishness to them. They cannot understand it. Yet we have the mind of Christ. We think like Christ. For the Holy Spirit has revealed him to us. Uh, Therefore, there, there rages on a serious conflict. There rages a conflict, a battle between men and women between men who are raised to new life in Christ, new spiritual life, and men who remain natural and carnal in their desires. There's, there's, there's conflict. 
that rages. As we've seen repeatedly with Paul and Barnabas in Galatia, tribulation comes as a consequence of, of our proclaiming God's way. We offer salvation to people. And, and then when the corrupt nature of sinful man violently reacts against God's way, the news that, that we bear in Christ's name, uh, Jesus told his disciples to, to be expecting this. John 15 verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, Christ says, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. So if we think back, far back for many of us, to remember our behavior, our our spiritual condition before faith in Christ, you know, each of us would remember that we were totally allied with the world. We loved the world, the works of the world, the lust of the world, pride of life. But later, because our Lord Jesus chose us out of the world and first called us out through His gospel of, of loving mercy and forgiveness, we, in response to his irresistible grace by which he calls us, we change teams. In the corrupt world we, we previously embraced, and now they view us really kind of as the, the greatest turncoats of all time. We've turned our back on the world. We've turned ourselves to follow Jesus Christ as our Savior They hate us because they remain aligned with the God, the ruler of this present age, the fallen world. Their team captain is named Satan. He presents himself as a very strong adversary to us. But ever since the glorious cross at Calvary, Jesus has been, you know, binding that strong man. Find that in Matthew 12, 29. And plundering that strong man's house, plundering his possessions, uh, carrying off what Satan considers his own property. Therefore, during this present age, there's occurring, it's a massive transfer of assets going on right now. Valuable assets from Satan's team that are being deposited into Christ's kingdom. Each of us who believes that Christ has died for our sins, we've been rescued from the domain of darkness and have been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the conflict. We learned this morning in evangelism training how we we play a vital role, a vital role in this transfer of souls into the kingdom of God 
by preaching the good news. By offering Christ, offering salvation to those whom we meet. And the prince of darkness, grim as he is, he he doesn't take this lying down. If you were able to watch the movie that I shared earlier this week, it's based on the book Pilgrim's Progress. You saw how the demon, his name was Apollyon. His name, by the way, means destroyer. He did all that he could to stop that pilgrim. His name was Christian in the allegory. The destroyer did everything he could to prevent Christian from leaving the city of destruction. A great battle ensued. Uh, Our battle is ultimately a spiritual battle, uh, yet it becomes manifest in physical ways because we're living in a physical realm where often people get hurt. So when we find that Paul was always beaten, beaten to a bloody pulp for offering Christ to a depraved world. When we see this, we we become prompted. We're we're trying to seek an understanding. What, What is happening here? Why must we enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations? And to this question, Jesus adds, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. The reason that all Christians will suffer some level of tribulation is because fallen humanity instinctively understands that that we, as Christians, We've been drafted by God onto the winning team. And and after this battle, it's on the world's gridiron. After this battle, where we will suffer tribulation, perhaps for some even to death. Nevertheless, because Christ has been raised, he has been raised in glory, Because Christ has been raised, every member of his team will also be raised from the dead victorious. When death is swallowed up in victory, that's when we're all going to to sing, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Christ Jesus. Folks, the final score has already been written. It's as good as over. And Team Satan has no other recourse. No other recourse than to make our lives as miserable as he and his 
worldly powers can in the meantime. You ever notice the losing team? The losing team with the players that aren't very good, they always play dirty. And Satan plays dirty. He comes after Christ's elect with everything that he can, making things as miserable as he possibly can. And we need to not lose hope. We are on the narrow path, the one that leads to life. We know we're on it. We know we're going to get there. We are going to join the winner's circle. We are going to hoist the winner's trophy. Where Christ is ultimately victorious, where he himself is going to award each of us a crown. Where we will join him victorious in his battle. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. But during this meantime, we're told not to fear. Jesus told a a church in Smyrna, through the Apostle John, he said, I know your tribulation. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, The devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death. This is what Jesus tells us. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life and he who overcomes will not hurt and will not be hurt by the second death. We can't lose. Christ has already won at Calvary. Still, Scripture assures in this world we we will have many tribulations. Um, For some Christians, this will become tribulation unto death. But there's nothing on this earth we fear, not even death itself, uh, for we shall be raised victorious to eternal life when the second death, that spiritual death, can never touch us. It is for Christ's eternal promises that, that Paul endures the tribulation. And uh, he can pull himself up again. He stands to his feet. He rises up. Turns around to re-enter Lystra once more. It's likely to receive medical attention of some kind, I would imagine. Before departing the next morning with Barnabas, where they would travel 75 miles to their next stop, Derby. That is a place where Paul will say to Barnabas, all right, let's try this again. No degree of tribulation can prevent us from proclaiming Christ. This ought to be, think of what Paul went through. Stoning to where they thought he was dead. 
And what he did was raised himself up again. And he went to the next town, the the next target, and began proclaiming Christ. And many were one to Jesus in Derby. He didn't say this is over. Tribulation was too much. I'm done. Can't take it anymore. No. Folks, this ought to be incredible, immense encouragement for those of us in our own uh, evangelism efforts. And comparatively, we got it pretty soft. We really aren't going to have to. God willing, of course, aren't going to have to in this in this country, endure what Paul endured. will be 39 lashes in all likelihood. God will decide that in the end. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But Psalm 118 verse 6 reminds me, the Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And the New American Standard translates verse 7, The Lord is for me among those who help me. That rendering reminds us and implies that you know, when the forces of tribulation, when the pressures mount against you, against me, we can be expecting our Lord to help us through by other people who he has called to join us. This week I was hoping through posts on Facebook and, and uh, an email, midweek email that goes out, uh, this newsletter once a week. I was hoping that if you hadn't already read the book, Pilgrim's Progress, that you would at least you know, watch the free movie uh, based on this Christian classic written in the 17th century by a Puritan preacher named John Bunyan. The story supplies an allegory of the Christian life, uh, which is plagued by, by many kinds of trials and, and tribulations. Uh, John Bunyan uh, himself wrote the book, while he was in prison 12 years. He was in England in prison for 12 years uh, for preaching the word of God. It was unlawful because he didn't belong to the church of England. And because he was preaching unlawfully, he wasn't ordained by the powers that be, the crown. He spent 12 years in prison where he wrote this book. Pilgrim's Progress tells the story of many tribulations faced uh, by the main character, his name is Christian, uh, who's seeking to, to reach the celestial city of God. Interestingly, John Bunyan was not writing this story as an autobiogra- autobiography of himself alone. Uh, It is an allegory for the typical Christian's life. Quickly becomes evident how John Bunyan concluded, boy, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And as the pilgrim progressed, named Christian, as the pilgrim progressed 
towards heaven, pressed on towards the celestial city, the man Christian, well, he suffers many trials. He first became bogged down in, in, in a slew of despond. He faced dangers at Mount Sinai. Climbed a hill once called Great Difficulty. He endured a valley of humiliation. Crossed the valley of the shadow of death. Nearly martyred. Nearly martyred in a city named Vanity Fair. And was even once tempted to end it all himself in a dungeon at Doubting Castle because of a giant named Despair. Have you ever met a giant? His name, Despair? Do you know that Christ has conquered Despair? That we shall rise again to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, during his life, Christian also crossed nice places. A pleasant meadow, a plain called Ease. Even stayed as a guest at a palace called Beautiful. He rested in another location called Beulah Land. These were allegories for the church. Along the way, he made many friends who helped him. One was named Evangelist. Another help. One more faithful. And then there was Hopeful. But he encountered many more people who tried to hinder his progress having names like obstinate, hypocrisy, envy, ignorance, vain confidence. Perhaps my favorite villain was pliable. He could just kind of go either way. But clearly an overview of the pilgrim's life was one of many challenges of great difficulty on occasion facing death. But ever uh, after all of those tribulations, Christian entered the celestial city. Since its first date of publication in the year 1678, Pilgrim's Progress has been cherished embraced and translated into over 200 languages and more than 1,300 English editions because it so faithfully portrays the life of a Christian. Just as Paul showed these churches in verse 22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God In verse 21, it would have been a much shorter journey for Paul and Barnabas to travel east from Derby, 
when returning to their home base in Antioch of Syria. But instead, Paul and Barnabas, they return west. They go the long way. The perilous journey, revisiting each of the churches they had planted in Lystra, in Iconium, and Derby. Where, where verse 22 says, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Well, it, it doesn't appear that Paul and Barnabas returned preaching again in these cities. Uh, they seem to focus now their attention to, to strengthening the churches. What can we do to strengthen what the Lord has done? Likely uh, delegating to them, you know, the responsibility going forward, uh, reaching out to their neighbors with the gospel. Yet uh, they were determined to provide some stability to these local churches uh, through appointing elders for them in every city. I'm going to delay on that, the appointment of elders until Acts chapter 20. Uh, men who are qualified to be elders, uh, what characteristics they have, scriptural, scriptural requirements for those. Um, much broader detail given in Acts chapter 20. So I'm just going to delay that part till then. At Antioch, we saw that they were fasting uh, after the apostle James was martyred. Uh, persecution endured by these churches here in Galatia, you know, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. It had been sobering. Just think if you're a member of one of these churches. Paul and Barnabas are coming back through. After all that Paul suffered there, and he's like, oh, we're going to have to find a way to strengthen and protect these cities. I, I imagine... Paul and Barnabas were warning these men, uh, these new leaders, they're adversaries. There's obstinate and envy, superstition and ignorance, flatterer and vainglory. They're everywhere. Then he commanded them, commended them in the Lord in whom all had believed. You know, there, there's... There's wisdom in this with Paul and Barnabas. They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Mean, means a simple, that phrase, commended them to the Lord, simply means they entrusted the Lord with them. They entrusted uh, these churches to the care of the Lord Jesus. Paul and Barnabas are saying, we, we have to move on. We have to go elsewhere. The Lord will take care of you. Next week, we'll read as Paul and Barnabas return. They'll sail home. They'll give a full report to Syrian Antioch about what the Lord has done, the wonderful things the Lord has done for these churches. In just a moment, I'm going to ask the men to come forward to share the Lord's Supper. Just one minute. I imagine there are some who want to investigate further. 
um, into tribulation, especially the questions on great tribulation. I don't have time to go into all of that. Uh, begin by recognizing the following things. The phrase great tribulation, megas thalipsis, great tribulation. Uh, it occurs only three times in scripture. The first is a great tribulation. It doesn't say the great tribulation. It says a great tribulation described in Matthew 24, verse 21, uh, which when you place it alongside the parallel account in Luke chapter 21, the great tribulation has to have occurred at the desolation of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. You put those two passages together, Matthew 24, Luke 21, it's decide whether you believe there's good evidence for that. The second occurrence comes in Revelation 2 verse 22, where Jesus threatens to throw Jezebel and other people in the church in Thyatira into great tribulation unless they repent of their immorality. And third and final, uh, there's an occurrence that comes in Revelation 7 verse 14 where we are introduced to Christian martyrs who come out of the great tribulation. For, for whom our Lord promises to wipe away their every tear. So when you study those appearances of great tribulation, honestly and in context, uh, you will notice they all have one thing in common. The church and God's elect are always portrayed in Scripture as being present, as passing through, and as enduring great tribulation. Christ's church and the elect are never portrayed in those passages as being raptured out before great tribulation. Nowhere in any of these contexts are Christians promised they will never have to experience great tribulation. Consider those things. Do your study. Decide where you're going to land. Let's pray. Father, we comfort one another as you have comforted us. And uh, as we just simply know, uh, we face many trials in this life, Lord. Uh, the hope that you give us far exceeds any pain that we have. Thank you for reminding us, lifting our hearts, standing us back up on our feet, that we might serve you through your Son and by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. <music>